0: You're listening to BAU, Business As Unusual. The podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact.
1: So we just spoke to Nikki and Sarah from Or s impact and at the start of this season we really wanted to understand how not-for-profits change agents and, and just people trying to affect a positive outcome for their community or their or their state even or all their, their family their life and just really how to push that forward so sarah and nikki really understand the systems and uh, mechanisms they're sort of like the barometer the change barometer if you will huge on systems, a bit like yourself, Joe, and processes. What did you take?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's just that. I think the, the main thing that, you know, you can always take out of those things is that issues issues are they're big and they're systemic so it's you actually have to be quite systematic about the way that you think about stuff and I think you know, the for me, the certainly the favourite part of the conversation was unpacking the difference between kind of incremental change and kind of big system-based change. So yeah, the conversation kind of goes through, you know, how do you, how do you measure things? How do you actually kind of create the space for change to actually occur? How do you prove that you're actually making a difference? And really, I think ends on the most important point, which is that it's understanding the change you're actually trying to make. Is it systemic or is it actually incremental? And which part of that are you actually um, focused on? Both are necessary and both are valid. So I think the conversation, yeah, kind of takes us, takes us through that whole notion and it's a really interesting tension that I think most for-purpose organizations face.
1: Sarah and Nikki we here at the podcast love chatting to change agents and different people working in different areas all all types of facets but we thought it'd be great to have you guys on board to just talk us through a little bit of the work that you do give us a lay of the land in America at the moment and and just speak to us a little bit about the future if you could Um, and I suppose be the change barometers that you are so without further ado could you just introduce us uh, to yourselves your organization and just let the listeners and us know where you are right now
3: Yeah, that sounds great. I can get us started. Um, Hi, I'm Sarah Stachowiak. I'm the CEO and owner of ORS Impact, which is a consultancy based in Seattle, Washington, in the United States. Um, And we work with those that you are talking about, your audience, change agents, nonprofits, social sector governments who are trying to make positive change in the world and who want data and evaluation and information that can help them learn along the way and do that better, and we tend to work on things that people think are too hard to measure (laughs) or too complicated or too squishy, um, which is a little bit of what led us to this, but I'll I'll let Nikki introduce herself before we go further on that front.
4: Yeah, um, lovely to be here. Well, I'm Nikki Calra, and I'm a senior consultant at ORS Impact. Um, and Sarah gave a good overview so this is just to say that I spend most of my days doing the things that, that she just mentioned <laughs>
2: <laughs> fantastic beautiful beautiful and um, yeah I mean a question question to you both I mean in that in that day-to-day day-to-day work that's kind of notion of, um, of squishy uh, impact and moving to something <laughs> that it actually is a little bit more measurable perhaps we can just start there and uh, start to take us through I mean what are the what are the challenges that you believe face um, the for purpose sector and why is it that you're kind of trying to look at making the metrics more meaningful and also a little bit more precise?
3: Yeah, I can take a start at that. So, you know, part of it has been a little bit of my personal background and interest in thinking about how do you help change kind of the systems and policies and things that can really change people's lives for the better at scale and in a sustainable way. And so a lot of how we got started in this work was thinking about if you're trying to make comprehensive community change, you know, there are important direct services that people need because people have urgent needs right now that need to be taken care of. But if you're only addressing those, like, immediate needs, you're never getting to the root causes and you're never um, potentially getting to what could really make a difference for more people all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so starting to think about, like, When people think about that, it's easy to count, like, who shows up or who gets services or what happens because a person, you know, receives some kind of service. And it's a lot harder when you start thinking about, like, well, what if the way you think about who's eligible for a program changes or what if public will changes such that, you know, what policymakers think is important is changing so that policies look different and benefit different people. Um, And that, you know, it's harder to measure. And then it can be hard to get support for it and funding for it if you can't sort of say, well, this Mm. is what we're doing and how we're making a difference. So that's a little bit how we got involved in this work. Um, And I think you found us a little bit around our narrative change work in particular. Um, Mm. which just started to be something we were hearing a lot about from funders and nonprofits. Um, I don't know what it's like in Australia. The U.S. social sector can, can be a little... Um, There's a new thing, (laughs) right, periodically (laughs) that people get very excited about. Yep. yep. But not always a lot of shared understanding or agreement about what that thing is and why it matters and and Mm. what changes you would look for. And so that's a little bit what happened with our narrative change work. Um, And so just really helping people, you know, if you want to make difference in those kinds of systems changes or narrative change, you know, you can't just kind of start the work and hope it's making a difference and see because they tend to be longer term efforts and longer gains and so I think where we get in is like how do you start to understand what difference would look like along the way and I'm jumping ahead a little bit but like you're doing it in a constantly changing context Mm. so how do you make sure you're not just starting with a strategy and seeing it through but how are you observing adapting responding as the world changes around you at the same time
1: Sure, you have to be really at that flexible level and no doubt right now with with COVID and all the hurdles that are being thrown at everyone, but I suppose that quantification um, and justification is so key for -for non-for-profits if they're looking for funding avenues. Um, I was hoping on that narrative front. How do you construct? Do you, are you helping the construction phase for those organisations with a narrative that is flexible and allowing to adapt to change? And what are some of those, I suppose, strategies or mindsets that organisations have to have to embrace to really stretch out in the park of change?
4: Well, I think we've been a bit less engaged on the on the front of actually developing narratives and a bit more about. Um, you know, measuring changes that are happening or understanding the progress of those narratives once they're out in the world. Mm-hmm. That said, I, I don't think, yeah, there's necessarily quite, um, you know, a huge uh, disjunction between the two of them. Um, as Sarah was saying, I think that we've been trying to think about, um, you know, understanding narrative change and understanding the uh, progress and focus of your work in terms of having a very systems-sensing approach. And I think that's that's what we're trying to think about in terms of the flexibility to be responsive. So once you you have, say, for instance, in the case of narrative change work, you have a strategy that you want to employ. Perhaps you, you know, you, your organisation or your group of organisations has done the work to construct a narrative, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, less of the work we've done, but there are lots of people really uh, engaged um, in that part of the work. But really, then thinking about once it's out in the world, um, being able to be um, constantly sort of monitoring and assessing the environment around you. Uh, when you put, for instance, a narrative out in the world, there are going to be people who respond to it, who react to it. Um, not only is it the case that you are disseminating something in a really complex environment, but there are actively, as a result of your efforts, <laughs> going to be people doing new things. Um, you know, they're going to be putting out counter-narratives. They're going to be responding to your work. Um, so we're really trying to um, think about what it means for um, people to keep an eye on those processes. And, um, you know, just uh, make sure that you're building in sort of a much uh, an iterative and responsive and reflective approach to, to understanding change.
2: Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in doing that, I mean, I'm really I'm interested in the, the notion of kind of actually what you started to talk about around kind of building building a system around that. So that you know, I think that there's there's a really kind of um, interesting paradox in for-purpose or not-for-profit work between the actual action that's taken, i.e. the frontline service delivery is often um, held up as kind of, I guess, the, the work, so to speak, in inverted commas but yet actually mm-hmm. being able to build a system mm-hmm. that actually allows that organization to support that work, fund that work, and actually um, react, I guess, in terms of to a changing environment. Um, can you talk about um, two things for us, please? One, the importance of actually taking that um, system style of approach, but then also just some of the lessons that you've actually learned around implementing that inside a not-for-profit or for-purpose environment. Yeah, yeah I,
4: like, can, I, I can take a <laughs> um i was just um, going to say um with regard to the first question i think one of the things that's really emerged in the work we've been doing and and again i'm going to i'm just going to use narrative changes as the example here Great. but is um the idea we picked up really um and lots of people have been talking about it uh, around the idea of sort of narrative presence and power and the idea and this comes from um a, a, a someone who works in the sector Rashad Robinson, but he talks a lot about it's one thing to have the presence of a narrative. Uh, So, for instance, you have a particular framing about an issue you want. You might see it on the front page. But if you don't have the power that underlines it, then that doesn't really get you as far as you want. Um, So in talking about, I think, and in thinking about, like, really that first question, uh, I think one of the things that it became evident to us was that, that there's a there's a communications part of this work, right? and And you might think about that as the analog of the service delivery part. if you're not building kind of coalitions and infrastructure underneath that, bringing people together, generating kind of the ecosystems where there's sort of an echo chamber around this, if there isn't um, you're not thinking about, for instance, political will, thinking about things like branding. Um, There's a whole infrastructure that's required to really do the work of something like narrative change that goes beyond sort of the dissemination of messages and just getting, you know, like doing um, a particular strand of work. And I think that that infrastructural piece and really thinking about power um, is is important there. Um, So, Sarah, I'll hand over to you. (laughs) No, that was
3: great. I'll I'll build a little bit on that, on what we have seen and how people kind of help to look at that and measure it and monitor it with that kind of system sensing, um, approach along the way. And, and some of this comes from our past work, working with people trying to advocate for policy change, right? Like that's a very similar thing. You have opposition, you have politics, (laughs) you have rapidly changing conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can be really variable. Like I think that, um, often people who are doing the systems work naturally are good observers and fast takers in of information and very strategic. And so what we have found is like, sometimes it's just little bits of structure to help make sure that you have these kind of reflective cycles and really think about like, what are we learning? How are we adapting? What's our hypothesis? Are we seeing it happen? And like, I think people can get hung up on quantitative measures or like rigor or, you know, all these kind of technical terms but we worked with a, an organization, a very small advocacy group, who uh, we had helped them develop a theory of change. So what was their idea? What were their key strategies? What changes did they want to see in the world? And it was as simple as, like, they started using it in all of their staff meetings. So, like, putting Post-its on it, almost literally on the wall. Like, what were they starting to see change? What was telling them they were seeing progress or not in different areas? You know, and then all the way up to um, focus. Kind of things like before and after action reviews or emergent learning approaches where you set hypotheses and what is the evidence you see. You know, two things like you could do media analysis if you're thinking about narrative change and like, are you periodically looking at like, what is the framing people are using? What are the words people are using? What are the stories and the people who are seen as expert on a particular topic? Um, Because I just want to underscore like similar to what Nikki said about the power behind you know, sort of getting the narrative out, like there's power in all of this. Um, And I think your question around sort of that strategy, who gets to decide what the solutions are, who gets to decide what the problem is, like there's just real opportunities I think in this work to try and change some of those um, unhealthy power dynamics that might exist now that are institutionalized in different cultures in different ways.
0: You're listening to BAU, business as unusual. The podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production, a production house that works with organisations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. And if you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the data that you try and collect and how you collect it that informs those decisions and tries to, uh, be, I suppose, be reflective on the work that an organisation that you're working for does? Like, is there a go-to? Is there a system that you try and implement for that other than media analysis and and um, understanding the narrative? But in terms of getting that feedback, are you using your so- social channels or are you just trying to understand how public uh, are receiving the, the information and what they're listening to? How do you quantify that? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I can get started on that. I think, um, you know, there's the stuff we were talking about, about how do you have processes that are sort of understanding how the implementation side, like how well is it going? What do we need to change? Um, and one of the things that we really want to think about is in like, and so what? <laughs> right? It can be very easy. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the things that are easy to count are usually not the most meaningful and mm-hmm. helpful things. It's yeah. such a shame um you know and really what you want to get at are there changes in discourse are there changes in public will and political will you know there are some good tools that have come out of the advocacy and policy change field that are really um, you know built around some of these same ideas so can you you know for political will there's a policymaker rating methodology so you would you would take a decision making body And rate where people are relative to awareness of the issue, prioritization of your issue, or, um, and how important are they? (laughs) And how certain are you of your rating? And really do that. So it's more of an internal exercise, Mm. but you do it more systematically and you can monitor that over time. Um, media analysis is one where you're right. Like it takes capacity and time to do that, but you could take, you know, moments in time where you're just going to take a dip, um, Mm. rather Mm. than doing it all the time. Um, but still taking that systematic view on some kind of regular basis to, to look at, um, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to know things like the frequency of terminology, but then like sentiment. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) You know, what's the message that's actually getting put out there and how is it, how is it being framed and put out in the world? Yeah. And then I think, you know, what we really work with people to try and think about, like, what's doable? People can't Mm. do giant public polls. Most of the time, right? Like, we rarely work with people who are going to be doing that kind of work. But are there ways to really think about who your target audience is so that you can start to understand if it's working, even if it's a subset? And You're not talking about, you know, a whole state, a whole country, but is there a targeted community where you would think um, your work should be showing up so that you could start to, you know, get some information from that Um and so just really trying to think creatively but smartly about, you know, where might you see change in enough of a way to tell you whether you're making a difference or not.
2: Yeah, great. And I'm um, really, you know, it's the notion of that what's what's doable, I think, you know, is a real um, interesting, again, kind of um, broad broad sector challenge in that it does tend to get to the point mm-hmm. sometimes where, you know, being able to find a proxy or being able to find a way to kind of um, look at share of voice or kind of um, share of a particular issue it's at least having something that allows you to kind of um, justify that, and really, what I wanted, where I'd like to go next, is kind of just to start to get an understanding of kind of the state of the of the sector inside inside the U.S. at, at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and kind of you know some of the changes that you're actually seeing in terms of in terms of trends. Certainly here in Australia, for example, um, you know I think we're becoming more reliant on kind of in some ways on um, not for profits or for for um, for purpose to kind of help people who you know as our society becomes more polar. As well, who are on the edges of things, but I'm but I'm interested mm-hmm. in is is that is that also something that you're seeing? Are there other trends in the U.S. that you kind of think are actually directly affecting the sector as a whole?
3: I mean, I think here, you know, we've been in the the period of the Trump presidency and and the pandemic and a lot of uprisings around the institutionalized racism in the United States, yeah. um, and so I think it's been a really and hard time in the nonprofit sector here in the U.S. I think people have been working really hard. um, And and I think philanthropy here did a good job about responding when the pandemic hit. And I think people are trying to be more responsive to how do we get money out the door to help people respond um, and how do we maybe fund different people and not just go to all of the usual suspects. And that's, like, all happening at the same time that there's this huge critique of philanthropy. (laughs) There's been, over the last couple of years, a lot of pushback um, around, you know, many books and many articles of, like, where did this money come from? And you're trying to do good, but you got all this money from, you know, unseemly practices. And... You know, very lopsided power dynamics that rich people are getting to, to make a lot of decisions. Mm.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. And do and do, and do you think that's part of? Um, there's there's also this interesting dynamic where you know just to just to build that out a bit is that it feels like it's gone from isn't it great we have the money to then kind of it's looking at, looking at the money. But the other the other change is around it gets kind of actually um people like in terms of kind of taking that action, particularly if they have a substantial amount of wealth to fund the issues that they're carrying about directly so it's kind of actually setting up their own foundations and ways of dealing with that is something that is certainly new here in Australia Um, so we have a gentleman by the name of Andrew Forrest who's a very uh, rich uh, mineral magnate and has set up really what is the first kind of philanthropic um, foundation at scale here in Australia but yet in the U.S. it's such a common practice Um, so can you speak a little bit about how that, you know, is that causing more and more issue, like, um, or is it actually a good way um, to fund things? I mean, what are your thoughts overall on kind of that, um, you know, kind of, I guess, more individual-led, individual-issue type of um, foundation approach?
3: That's an interesting question. It is a huge part of the U.S. social sector that is different, I think, than in other places. You know, I think it's, it's variable, right? There are, there are people who fund things <laughs> that are in their beliefs that <laughs> yeah. might not line up with ours,
4: yeah. <laughs> right? So
3: there is this tension of like, do you, what is your, what foal should you have just because you're a wealthy person? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, and, it's I, interesting. and I think the way that philanthropy is trying to respond to some of that, I think is there is a greater push to um, how do you diversify your funding? How might you do more funding of movements and things that are led by people of the communities who are who are experiencing the problems um i think you're seeing more um listening and feedback practices and um some humility that there's been this long period of u.s issue-based philanthropy and like it's a lot of money and it's a drop in the bucket still compared to the public sector, right? <laughs> like, what? which problems are we really able to solve and what is the right place for philanthropy? I mean, I do think there is a place for philanthropy to do good work and innovate and go beyond what the public sector can and should do. Um, but it is, it is kind of an interesting uh, conundrum and a lot of interesting power dynamics between nonprofits and funders, right? Like, as the people who are really the ones who are supporting
1: the work that they're doing yeah Mm. i feel like i don't know if it's the same as it is here but i feel like there's a new crop of not-for-profits rearing its head um here in australia as a result of the pandemic and then also just the result of a mass movement to digital but i i really wanted to get you two, both of your combined opinions on how not-for-profit this dichotomy that a not-for-profit exists to solve a solution and therefore shouldn't exist forever, but often a not-for-profit ends up sort of uh, maintaining a space and then has a share in that space. How, do you have any strategies on how to coach that through or, or any methods that try to end that and really solve that and how to disband maybe a really big organization or move, move focus?
2: He wants to take that first, right? so. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know, That, was, that was silence in
1: the wood. <laughs> 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 I can start.
4: <laughs> <laughs> a, r- a really big question: Are we talking about the tension between sort of non-profit serving a particular function, and if they do that well, then essentially they
2: they should, they should, be, they, should they, they should close their doors. Is, yeah. yeah, they should close their doors for sure. That, that that idea that as a as a not-for-profit kind of um, ages, they almost become institutionalized in the problem rather than solving the problem. Right.
4: I mean, they certainly. I. I <laughs> I don't know. I I certainly don't have any um, great answers to the question, Um, but I think that, you know, one of the things that um, perhaps drawing on our earlier conversation is that I think there's a lot more of this recognition of kind of the the role of system in some um, problems that maybe previously were thought of in terms of maybe direct services. That, to me, suggests that there's uh, much more of a need for, like, continuing ongoing engagement. These systems are intractable. They've, you know, lasted for for eons. They uphold a status quo that's, like, very difficult to tackle. Um, So I I think there's a certain sense that if you're treating things not as single issues, but you're thinking about them in this more systemic way, that, I mean, there's probably less chance that your non-profit will go obsolete. I think there are certain, you know, symptoms of that system that you might tackle um, and face and, and solve whatever that means. But I think, you know, in uh, <laughs> it seems to really me unlikely that, you know, all problems will be solved in a short timeline. And if, if nonprofits can, A, maybe, you know, are starting to think more about it in, in these terms and B, just like like we we're saying, like, um, I think there's a system sensing piece to this understanding kind of like the environment and the the signals um, around and that, that will allow them to kind of be responsive and flexible. Um, but I don't know if there'll ever be like no work for a non-profit engaged in any any
2: particular area. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, for sure. But it is yeah, it's something that I'm fascinated with and a few, a few associates that find it interesting as well, an organization, how big they are with a not-for-profit, whether they um, have to continue having skin in the game and whether it's helping or not. But that's just my thoughts. Um, I really appreciate you guys spending the time and taking the time to talk to us and give us insight into the work that you do. I think it's fascinating and, and really important stuff. And I hope some of the listeners understand um, better how to affect the change that it, that they're trying to do. And I think the main message that I'm getting from here is small incremental and really targeted change is, is probably the more sustainable approach. So thank you both. That's
3: an interesting takeaway. I think... I think I think I would say measure in way, maybe think about measurement in these small incremental ways, but I say th- I would push on that thought a little bit of like, I think there's lots of issues that um, we're working with somebody now on criminal justice reform yeah. and they would like, we work with people who are like, you can't, incremental change isn't going to do it. Right. The interests are so entrenched. The, the incentives, um will just mean the system is gonna adjust to any incremental mm. change you try and make and transformation is what you have to go for. And nothing less than transformation is gonna get you what you need. And, and like it- so like I think there's some Oh sorry, go ahead.
2: No, no, it's uh this this exactly as you're you're unpacking. I think it's that there's a, this this notion about that the narrative almost has to support that tra- that transformation but then you know in terms of that we have to change state almost we have to move from here to here if i'm hearing you correctly it's not it's not that we can get there through small change, but then when we actually get to that point, it's about those kind of those incremental steps around kind of actually ensuring that we're measuring the right thing so we don't fall back to the same place we were. I think that's mm-hmm. the that's a really interesting tension that exists in this type of work mm-hmm. when you're actually trying to change a structure mm-hmm. of society around a particular issue because society actually has to change to yeah. allow that to happen.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Beautiful. Well, um, yeah. So the the last, la- I guess, the kind of last last bit from us uh, here today is that if um, you know, you kind of look you look forward kind of um, five five years. I mean, on some of these issues. So, for example, the criminal justice one. I mean, what what do you what do you think actually has to transpire in some of these kind of I guess social uh, not just issues. I mean, I think they're 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 actually integral to our society in terms of ensuring that we get back to a level of equality. Um, and some of that's mm-hmm. going to exist for the first time. You know, certainly things around kind of, um, you know, kind of, I guess, you know, particularly things like criminal justice. We have very similar issues here, where it's disproportionately people from mm-hmm. poorer backgrounds and people from uh, different ethnic backgrounds that are not white Australians. So the, the notion that, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of when we look five years out, what are, what are you actually hoping, hoping to see? What are you hoping, for example, that the Biden um, administration, perhaps we keep it to a four year window, is actually able to enact?
3: <laughs> oh i i'm ho- I, i'm nervous and i'm hopeful <laughs> As new president, depends on what happened to the senate um <laughs>
2: yeah yeah george has never think, Georgia's has never I mean, been on more people's minds that's for sure
3: right? yeah. <laughs> i mean i would say i'll be curious to hear what Nikki has to say i mean i do so when we think about this transformation i was just talking with friends last night and i think trying to think about huge transformation at the federal level can feel very daunting and unrealistic and, you know, like maybe there's opportunity there, but I think, you know, what I would hope to see and does feel like optimistically doable to me is starting to shift like the idea of who is expert in what ways, who's getting to drive the solutions to problems that are really affecting people's lives. And I, I do think that we would be in a more, um, conducive ecosystem in the next four years with the Biden administration than we have been when it's been so much just survival and defense, you know, now there can be more forward looking, um, action. But I, you know, I think some of what we're really going to start to see too is like, how do you, what can you see happen more in more local levels and how can that then spread out so that, you know, some of these ideas that, um, around transformation, if they can happen and take root and have some positive impact can be like beacons of hope and, you know, innovation for other people to build from. And that might be the place where you start to see those energies that have had to go toward holding the line and facing constant assault can put energy into new, you know, new directions and not just not backsliding.
0: Thank you for listening to BAU, Business as Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's baupod.co.